Wonderful. You may be seated. Thank you for that uh, inspiring worship this morning. Uh, We are in our series, Villains and Heroes of Easter. If you've been here for a few weeks running now, uh, we've had some very interesting discussions. Uh, A guy who looks like he's a good guy, one of the disciples, you think he's going to be a hero, ends up to be a villain. It's the one who kissed Jesus in the garden that night and betrayed him to the Pharisees. One guy you think is going to be a villain sits on the judgment seat and keeps pronouncing these words, I find no guilt in this man. And if you didn't already know the ending to the story right there, you'd be cheering and you'd be saying, he's going to do it. He's going to let him go. He's going he's to quit Jesus Christ right here. He's going to push back on these wicked Pharisees and these stubborn Jews, and he's going to checkmate them and let Jesus go. And you start almost to cheer at Pilate's trial of Jesus Christ. But then in the end, he caves to the peer pressure. He washes his hands, knowing it's only symbolic, it's not real, and says, take him and crucify him. And they lay the cross on Jesus, and out he goes to Golgotha, the skull mountain, to be crucified between two thieves. Now we're here on Easter Sunday morning because you already know the story. Otherwise, why would you dress up and come to church on Sunday morning on Easter? You, you already know. I, hopefully there's no, you know, spoiler alert here. He rises from the dead in case you don't know. I mean, that's really why we're here because you already know the story They crucified him and buried him, and three days later, the disciples, early Sunday morning, begin to come to the tomb, and he's not there in the tomb. Now, that's the story, and we know he's risen from the dead. The first century disciples knew 100% he had risen from the dead, but when an event's been uh, passed down through history for 2,000 years, sometimes in a modern generation like this, we get a little skeptical, and we think, well... You know, that's like a folk story that's been passed down. Do we really have empirical evidence? Uh, You know, uh, uh, we think they were sure, but were they really sure? I mean, we start doubting because time has passed. I want you to know the first century Christians did not doubt. They knew. They knew 100%. Paul writes all about this to to the European Christians who were not there in Israel. And he says, we know. I mean, we know. We know he's risen. I myself have seen the risen Christ. Even in the laws of the United States, if you can get two people whose eyewitness testimony agrees, reduce it to writing in a deposition according to the laws of our country, it will stand in a court of law. Ladies and gentlemen, we don't have two witnesses. Paul said there are more than 500 people who had fellowship with the risen Christ. They're alive. If you guys in Corinth... If you guys in Greece want to take a mission trip over to Israel, I can give you their phone numbers and addresses, and you guys can go hook up at Starbucks and talk about it. They're still alive, and, and their testimony all agrees to what they saw. Now, you know the story, and they knew he was risen, but let me give you a little bit of the backstory as I did with Pilate and with Judas, because that's really what's fascinating this morning. This morning I want to focus on two men, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. Nick and Joe for short because it rolls off the tongue a little easier. Nick and Joe are Pharisees. Right here's where you can go. Pharisees. Nick and Joe are Pharisees. These Pharisees 
These are the villains of the New Testament. If you want to wonder just what what class of people are the bad guys in the story of, of Jesus Christ and in the story of the birth of Christianity into this world, the bad guys in the story are not the Roman soldiers. The bad guys in the story are these villainous religious people called the Pharisees. And in the four Gospels, whenever the Pharisees show up, you just put the word villain right there. These are the bad guys. And when Jesus interacts with sinners, sure enough sinners, open sinners, everybody knows they're sinners. Jesus speaks so kindly to them, tax frauds, extortioners, cheats, adulterers, adulteresses, thieves. When Jesus encounters people like that and they want to have a sincere conversation, he's so polite and kind. He'll sit down and even have dinner with them for hours and, and have conversation. He'll go to their homes. He'd invite them over to his home. He's having such personal discussions with people known to be big sinners. And he speaks so kindly to them. But when Jesus interacts with the Pharisees, it's a whole nother ballgame. When Jesus talks to the Pharisees, he says, you are a bunch of serpents. You bunch of snakes. You guys are like mausoleums painted white. And on the inside, you're full of rotting dead men's bones. You are wicked people who think you have the keys to heaven. And you've locked the gates and will not let people come into heaven. Oh, gosh, he just, just chastised them. His language was so severe and confrontational. And the reason is, these are the villains. This is where the creepy music would play in the story. It's almost like in your Bible reading time you need scary music. And put it on right there every time you start seeing the, vill- the villains show up. It was the Pharisees that interacted with the Judas in the conspiracy to put a spy inside Jesus' inner circle. It was the Pharisees who said, let's bribe someone and flip them. We'll get a double agent, a spy on the inside, a traitor, a betrayer. And we'll, we'll get that guy to betray his master to us because we can never seem to get a hold of this guy. He's slippery. He's powerful. The people love him. He's popular. I mean, he's like, kind of like a Robin Hood figure to the populace. They, the, the, the common people love him, and, and they want to stick it to the man. But we're going to get our hands on this guy. It was the Pharisees, these villains, that pressured the governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate, as I explained last week, it was the Pharisees that manipulated the Roman governor, Pilate, pushed him into a corner where his life was threatened, his family was threatened, and his they blackmailed Pontius Pilate. Is that fair? They blackmailed the Roman governor and said, if you let Jesus go, you're no friend of Caesar's. And everyone knew that Pilate's old boss had got caught in a conspiracy against Tiberius Caesar and had been executed and that Pilate had barely escaped with his life, charges of treason. And they said, all we have to do is start the rumors up again that you're no friend of Caesar, you're done for. They blackmailed him. They blackmailed Pilate into laying the cross upon Jesus Christ when Pilate repeatedly said in the court of Roman law, I find no guilt in Jesus Christ. By the way, that was a good judgment. 
this morning, anyone who truly has fellowshiped with Jesus Christ understands not guilty is the sentence for Jesus Christ. He wasn't crucified because he was guilty, ladies and gentlemen. He's crucified because you and I are guilty. It was our sins that were laid upon Jesus Christ. Let me add now to the narrative some historical fact. The Romans crucified people stripped naked, nailed to crosses down the highways. Not just in Israel, but in all the countries they conquered. Just the way you're used to driving down the highway and seeing light poles or telephone poles, the Romans would just crucify people down the street. Matter of fact, at some of their parties, and sometimes to light even the streets of Rome, they would pour uh, uh, some petrol product on the people hanging on the crosses and light them. They called them Nero's candles. And they would light Christians to illuminate the street like you have street lamps so, uh, uh, lining the, the main roads of our city. It was common. Here's what else was law. When you crucified someone on a cross, you put the accusation over the cross as to why they were you no know, friend of Rome. He's a thief. You know, tried to overthrow the governor, tried to overthrow Caesar. They put the charge of the crime above them. So when people went down the road, it was like, no, beware sign. If you cross the government, this is what you get. If you steal, this is what you get. If you, you do whatever, this is, the, this is what happens to you. And Pilate, historically, said, here's what we're going to put over Jesus Christ. This is Jesus of Nazareth, the king, Rex Judeum, the king of the Jews. There's no crime to nail over Jesus Christ. His only crime is he upset the villains when he was pronounced king of the Jews. Further, when a person was crucified, Rome made it illegal to remove them from the cross. In other words, nobody went and pulled the nails. No one went and took people down from the cross. When you were executed on a cross, you stayed on the cross until you died, and then you still stayed on the cross. And you stayed there until the buzzards of Texas plucked your eyeballs out, and the buzzards and the crows came and picked the flesh off of your bones, and the maggots went to work on the body for, for a week or so, and then when the sinews and the tendons and the muscles were turning to slime, the weight of the body itself would just rip loose from the cross and bones and a pile of goo would land at the bottom of the cross. And then a sanitation worker every once in a while would come along and scoop the goo and the bones up in a bucket and take them over to the city dump and dump them in the city dump. It was illegal to bury someone crucified. That was the whole point. We're embarrassing you. We're humiliating you. You will not have a proper burial because you dared to defy Roman law. That was the whole point of this. Not just the death, but the shame that followed and the no burial and all of that. Now, knowing what I just told you, you're scratching your head a little bit, aren't you? It's illegal to bury someone crucified on a cross. But you already know the story, don't you? How in the world did he get buried then? Because it's illegal to bury someone crucified on a cross. Well, let me tell you the backstory as quickly as I can. We'll start with the big question this morning. Within the group of villains known as the Pharisees, within the group of bad guys trying to hurt Jesus Christ, a small group of these religious leaders are genuine seekers. They're people who want to know the truth. 
There are people who are looking for them. Some, some genuine theologians are in here searching for a real Messiah. And there's a few people, we don't know exactly the number, but we'll keep seeing the word we. There's a small group of men in this group who are starting to really look at Jesus Christ and the miracles and hear the message. And this little group inside the villains is starting to think, you know what? This guy might be the real deal. We, we're, we're watching what he does. We're hearing what he says. We're watching how the people respond to him. And we're seeing something that lines up with Scripture. We know the Old Testament. We're seeing things start to line up. And we think that maybe this really could be the Messiah. The problem is these men inside the villainous Pharisees had questions. Big questions. As a matter of fact, one really big question. And they wanted to ask Jesus personally their big question, but they couldn't do it publicly because it'd make them look stupid. Because these are the, this is Supreme Court justice. The Sanhedrin, the Pharisees are the Supreme Court justices. And to ask Jesus, a carpenter, a big question publicly, people would look at the Supreme Court justice and say, well, didn't you guys go to Harvard? What's your problem? Why are you asking a carpenter a theological question about heaven and God and salvation and stuff like that? And it would be embarrassing to them. So they said, we have this really, really big question, but we can't ask Jesus publicly. What are we going to do? So this group of men gets together. And they begin, we don't know how, we don't know if they would rock, paper, sit, we don't know what they drew, cast lots, we don't know how they did it, but so drew matches, I, mean, I don't know, but somehow they decided that Nicodemus would be their representative. And so they said, Nick, here's what we're going to do. We want to send you in the shadows of darkness, put on a black hoodie, cover your face because people know who you are, wait till midnight. And then sneak through the streets of Jerusalem to that place where Jesus stays at night and throw pebbles against the window until a light comes on. And see if you can get him out of bed and under the cover of darkness and in veiled whispers, we want you to go ask Jesus the question we want an answer to. We wonder if he knows the answer. We wonder if anybody really knows the answer to this question. Let me read it for you now in John chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. A ruler of the Jews and this man came to Jesus by night and said to Jesus rabbi now for for a Supreme Court justice to say this is a big deal because the Supreme Court justice is like the top of the food chain okay the most educated people in our country are the people the justices sitting on that Supreme Court and they're supposed to be wise beyond their years and wise in the law and be able to cut through all the nonsense and the, and the hoorah and get right down to, to the real honest answers. That's how sharp these people are supposed to be. And so when the Supreme Court justice says to Jesus, Rabbi, what he said, Rabbi means teacher, master. It means I'm your pupil right now. Do you know what the New Testament word for pupil is? Disciple. Disciple. <laughs> And so the, the, the Supreme Court Justice Nicodemus right now is, puts Jesus' hand over his head and says, right now, you, I'm not a Supreme Court Justice. I'm just a dude seeking an answer to a question. I'm your disciple for these next few minutes. So you talk to me like you would your own disciples, rabbi, master, teacher. Now listen, that's uh, really, I think, one of, the, one of the keys to being born again, by the way. You're going to have to get over your ego and your goodness and your pride and your education and your high birth 
and you're going to have to humble yourself and say, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior, uh, uh, and you're going to have to acknowledge Him as Master. Rabbi, we know, we know, here's what's interesting, we, not me. I don't represent myself right now, I represent a group, we. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things you do unless God is with him. And so we, I represent a small group of the villains from the black robes. I represent a small group of people who are really honestly seeking answers to our questions. And I want to just throw this out this morning. If you have questions about faith and about Jesus and about God and about heaven and about a lot of things, that doesn't mean you're a doubter and faithless. It means faith is rising in your heart. When you start asking questions and seeking for answers, that's not a bad thing. That's the good thing that's happening in your life. So it means God's at work in your heart and in your mind, and you're, you're wanting answers. And, you're, and by the way, the Bible says if you seek, you will find. That's right. He'll, he'll come and meet you. The Bible says he's not far from you. If you just reach out, he'll be right there. And he will meet you. Rabbi, we know thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do the things you do except God is with him. I'm getting ready to ask the big question, okay? I'm, I'm giving my prelude as a Pharisee, and I'm about to ask him what we really want to know. And then Jesus did that Jesus thing that Jesus does. He reads your thoughts in your mind. And before Nicodemus can even ask the question that they sent him to ask, Jesus answers the big question, uh, revealing that I am the guy you're looking for. Listen, I know why you're here. Before you even ask your big question, let me answer it. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus said, Nicodemus, you came here tonight to ask me a big question, the biggest question a man can ever ask. Your question, Nicodemus, is how can you know for sure that you have a right relationship with God? That is the ultimate big question for you and I this morning. How can you know for sure that your sin's forgiven and heaven is your home? And how do you know for sure that you're in a right standing, in a right relationship with God? Jesus said, I know what your question is. You want to know how do you know for sure that you can have a right relationship with God? And here is the answer to your question before you've ever asked it. John 3, 3, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There is your answer. Nicodemus is confused more now than ever. <laughs> the answer didn't help him, okay? Now he's really confused. Jesus said, if you want to have a right relationship with God, you need to be born again. That's how you know for sure. Now Nicodemus is more confused because he's like, wait a second, what, what, I want to know how to know I'm going to heaven, and you're saying, Jesus, be born again, and, and I'm asking you, what in the world does being born have to do with going to heaven? I've never heard this language before, and I don't know that this has cleared anything up for me or the people I represent. Jesus follows it up, verse 4, Jesus said, uh, uh, Nicodemus said, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? You're confusing me, Jesus. I don't understand this birth you're talking about. 
How can you enter into your... That's just weird and gross, and I can't understand what's happening. Why, why this doesn't... I'm talking about heaven, Jesus, and you're talking about a baby being born. There's a disconnect. Maybe you didn't understand my question. Jesus says, no, hold on. Verse 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Let me just translate to simple English for all of us this morning. Dogs give birth to dogs. Cats give birth to cats. People give birth to people. Water speaks of a physical birth into a physical world, into a physical family. Nick, you've had a physical birth. You're here. Hello. You're a physical man born into a physical family, living in a physical world, and now you're a Supreme Court justice. You've had a physical birth. What you may not know is there's a spiritual birth. Nick, have you ever had a spiritual birth? Nicodemus is like, I didn't even know there was a spiritual birth. Nick and Joe thought of God much the way that you would think of Santa Claus. That God is in heaven observing our lives and someone up there is recording, making a list of good and making a list of bad that we do. And if the list of good is one entry longer than the list of bad, the scales tip to the good side and God's pleased with you and in you go to heaven. And by the way, that's the way a lot of, way a lot of the world and a lot of Americans think of God. He's in heaven, he's watching your good, he's watching your bad, and if you give clothes to the Salvation Army in your old couch and... You know what I'm saying? And take a casserole once in a while to a sick neighbor. Your good outweighs your bad, and heaven is open for you uh, because God is, is kind of like a like, kind of like a holy Santa Claus. You know, he's making a list and checking it twice. Going to find out who's naughty and nice, and 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 unfortunately, some of that begins to creep into our head. Nick and Joe were living lives as spiritual leaders, and their lives were completely focused on their behavior. It was all about what you do. Uh, it was all about good works. It was all about good deeds. They were totally consumed with right and correct behavior. What Jesus is saying to them, though, is what about your relationship with God? Do you have a relationship with God? Which leads us to an interesting discussion that's happening here. Is it about behaves or is it about belief? He who behaves goes to heaven, or he who believes goes to heaven. The, the Pharisees, and many in our culture thought, whoever behaves, but keeps the list of rules, goes to heaven. That was basically what Judaism was teaching. Here's the list of rules, keep the list of rules, then you will go to heaven, God will be pleased. And now watch Jesus blow it all up. Jesus says, Mr. Supreme Court Justice, you got it all wrong. You're the son of your parents by a physical birth, right? Have you ever misbehaved? Are you still a son? So behavior doesn't disannul your sonship. I mean, just a simple elementary argument, and, and we start talking this through now. Bad behavior doesn't nullify your sonship. You're not a son based on behavior. You're a son based on a birth into a family. Likewise, Nicodemus, you're not a child of God by good behavior. You're a child of God by a spiritual 
birth. Birth, Nicodemus. Birth, Nicodemus, not behavior. Birth, shift your focus from the rules to a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Birth into a family spiritually, not behavior, not rule keeping, not good outweighs bad. Birth into a family, John 3, verse 9. Nicodemus said, my mind's blown. How can these things be? I'm an old man. I have a Ph.D. in Bible. I'm a doctor of the Old Testament law. I'm a Supreme Court judge. I'm always the smartest guy in the room. You're blowing my mind, Jesus. How can these things be? Jesus answered and said, Are you, sir, a teacher in Israel? And know not these simple things that your children next door right now have already mastered? You have elementary children next door being taught right now who've already mastered this. They already understand it's about a relationship. Isn't that amazing how God can do this? And that's why Paul would write in Corinthians, God's taken simple things to confound the wise. And babes will enter into heaven sometimes before the big shots do. And again, he said, Nicodemus, aren't you a, you're, you're a teacher? You're the big deal here in Israel? And you don't understand this? Nick's mind's blown. His wheels are just spinning now. How did I miss this? I'm an old man now, and I've been trying to please God all my life with my behavior. Not only that, I've been teaching my wife and my children and my family and my my disciples. It's all about behavior. It's all about behavior. We've got to keep please God by keeping all the rules. Man, now I'm more confused than when I showed up. This meeting hasn't helped me yet. And he's thinking if God would only send someone... If God would only come down from heaven or send someone from heaven and tell us for sure, simply, clearly, if God would just send someone to look us in the eye, then we would know 100% how we could have a relationship with God. Is it behavior or is it belief? And then Jesus did that thing that Jesus does. Before Nick can even say that out loud, here comes Jesus again, verse 13. Nick, no one has ascended to heaven except he who came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, Jesus' favorite phrase for himself, even the Son of Man. Nick, you're thinking it would be so easy if God had just sent somebody from heaven and look us in the eye and say, hey, here's how you get in. <laughs> here's how it's, what it's all about. It would be so easy if God would just do that. If he just sent us someone from heaven. Nick. God did send someone from heaven. Nick, God sent me. Jesus Christ is God, manifest in the flesh. God sent me. Once again, the Supreme Court justice is like, can it be, can it really be that I'm having a conversation with the messenger of God right now? Jesus said, okay, okay, let me help you out. Let me help you out. You notice God does this all in the scripture. He never asked people to believe without some help. He said, I know you're going to need a little more convincing. I'll give you a sign. It's not a problem. It's well within my power to show you something. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to do something just for you and your little group. I'm going to do something just for you and Joe. Listen to what I'm about to say to you, Nick. This is going to be for you, okay, buddy? 
And here's what Jesus said in verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. I think this one is a Van Dyke, very famous painting. It says, Moses in the wilderness and the snakes are biting the people, Numbers chapter 21. And God said, as people begin to die, God said, Moses said, God, you got to help us out. He said, make a bronze serpent, put it on a pole and lift it up and tell the people, no doctor can cure you right now because sin has bit all of you. And there's only one cure and I'm going to symbolize it right now. Look and live. And everyone who looks to the serpent will be instantly healed of these snake bites. And anybody who says it's too simple, it's ridiculous, it doesn't make sense, they're going to die. Because it's all by faith. And as they looked, they were healed. Anybody recognize this symbol? See an ambulance go down the street sometime this week, you'll see something like this on the side of the ambulance. You drive by a hospital, you're very likely to see this symbol. Because of that all came out of Numbers 21 in your Old Testament, by the way, right out of the Word of God. That becomes now the international symbol of healing because of Numbers chapter 21. Jesus said, Nicodemus, you know the Old Testament backwards and forwards like you, uh, you, know, like you know the back of your hand. Listen, do you remember how Moses lifted the serpent in the wilderness and people looked and they believed and they were healed and their life was saved? Nicodemus, I'm going to give you a sign. I'm going to give you a sign. As Moses lifted the serpent, even so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. Let me read verse 15. That whosoever believes in him may have eternal life. Not behavior, not whoever behaves, not whoever keeps the rules better than somebody else. Whoever looks to Jesus and believes in Jesus, they shall have eternal life now nick let's get it straight before you go back and deliver the message it's about believing here's how you're born again you have to be born again if you want to enter the kingdom of god and here's how you're born again you have to believe on jesus christ and one day you're going to see the son of man lifted up as that serpent was lifted up and when you see that you're going to believe and you're going to you're going to have eternal life nick struggling not behavior belief everyone who believes i'm trying to get it through all of our heads and hearts this morning must say it a thousand times everyone who believes has eternal life because there's something in our human nature that wants to slip back and say well if i'm just good god will accept me god will accept you as a sinner matter of fact that's the only kind of people he saves he came to seek and to save that which was lost the well have no need of a physician i came for the sick and the hurting of this world that's who he came to save now nick and joe are members of the villains if the story ends right here and i dismiss us in prayer nobody knows whether they're good guys or bad guys ultimately unless you know the whole story and yes they become heroes in the end let me show you quickly how it happens that meeting happened in John chapter 3. Now I'm going to take you right through the book of John in just a couple of minutes. Watch what happens. The Pharisees now are conspiring to kill Jesus Christ. They send soldiers to arrest Jesus four chapters later in John chapter 7. The soldiers return empty-handed. Do you remember from last week? Have you got him? You arrest him? And they said, never a man spoke 
like this man. And the Pharisees went bananas because the soldiers sat down and listened to the sermon of Jesus and it actually made sense. And the Pharisees are looking around in the room and they're saying, you've been deceived. Have any of you believed on him? Nick and Joe have already been to visit Jesus by night. They're looking in the room like, oh, oh we're about to be found out by our buddies. <laughs> Don't say a word, Nick. Don't say a word, Joe. All right. Stoic. Don't smile. They're starting to believe, though. They're not 100% sure, but they're starting to believe. In John chapter 8, it tells us the scribes and the Pharisees now set a trap for Jesus. John 8. And they bring a woman right from the bed, drag her naked through the streets, and throw her down and say she was taken in the very act of adultery. Jesus, we want you to pronounce judgment over the situation. Remember the story? It's a trap. It's a trap. Nick and Joe know what's going on, and they never say, Jesus, don't say anything. Jesus, it's a trap. It's a trap. Run away, quick. They're trying to get you. Nick and Joe never speak up. They're still too scared. John chapter 8, Jesus says this though. He sidesteps the trap and he stood up and he said, let him who is without sin cast the first stone at her. You know what Jesus said to that group? He said, Jesus said, her behavior is no different from your behavior in the sight of God. And the Pharisees were quite offended by that, I'm sure. But convicted at the same time because they knew he was right. Her behavior, see, we want to classify sins. And we want to say, well, the drug addict, he's in a different category than me. Or the, you know what I'm saying? Or the adulteress, she's in a different category than me. Or the whatever, they're in a different category than me. Listen, the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. We are all sinners in his eyes and need to be born again. Never let your ego get a hold of you and say, I'm too good to be born again. That's the only way to go to heaven is to be born again. Again, it's the only way to be right with God. So believe on Jesus Christ. And boy, the crowd dropped their rocks and went away when Jesus said that. They were all convicted. So chapter 9, you turn a page. The, Jesus breaks one of their rules again. In John chapter 9, he heals a blind man on the Sabbath day, which was a big no-no. John 9 verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. He does not keep the Sabbath. But others said... Do you know who those others are? Nick and Joe. <laughs> but others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. Joe and Nick are getting a little more bold now. They're starting to very gently push back. Turn a page in your Bible, John 11. Jesus' best friend Lazarus dies. Jesus up in the north part of Galilee. Takes him four days eventually to get to Bethany by Jerusalem. Four days later, Jesus and the disciples show up in an entourage. Jesus comes right to Mary and Martha's house and says, take me to the grave. Where did you bury him? Take me. Let's go see the grave. Let's go out to the graveside together. And they take Jesus out to the graveside, the shortest verse in your Bible, John eleven thirty-five. Two words. You know them? Jesus wept. That's right. Went out to his friend's grave, and there he began to cry. And he wept for a minute, and he said, okay. Now that kind of that human experience for a moment, Father, I'm about to do something. I want them to know you're doing it. Gave us a little prayer right there. Then he tells them, roll back the stone. Now this is just a little bit before his crucifixion. He's given everybody a sign of his resurrection now. A little foretaste of what kind of power Jesus has. Roll back the stone. They said, don't roll it back. It's been four days. 
no formaldehyde, no embalming like that. Listen, he's, it's going to be rough. Don't do it. It's embarrassing to all of us. You don't want to remember him like this. Jesus said, roll back the stone. Lazarus, come forth from the grave. And Lazarus, he had been dead four days, came bound hand and foot from the grave. Jesus said, loose him and let him free. The crowd went bananas. The crowd starts to cheer and applaud and worship. The Pharisees are standing there and they get word and they're like, oh no. You think healing a blind man was a big deal. He just raised a man from the dead who had been dead four days and the whole community watched him die and be buried. They'd been bringing, the whole community would bring casseroles for four days. It wasn't a joke. He was dead and everybody knew he was dead. He ju- now they're having a party down at, at Simon's house for Lazarus. Now they're having a, what would you call that? Resurrection party uh, over, over there in Bethany. The Pharisees become unhinged in John eleven forty six. But some of the Pharisees, uh, when they heard what Jesus had done, verse 47, they went to the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council. Here's the Supreme Court meeting. What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe on him. We'll praise God. Wouldn't that have been a good thing? Everyone will believe on him, but the Romans will come and take our place. Our religion's about to be nullified. Judaism's about to be proven false. It's not about behavior. It's not about our law and our rules. This man's introducing something new. It's about being born again. It's about belief in Jesus Christ. Our whole religion's about to be extinct. Quick, we've got to do something. John eleven fifty three. So from that day they made plans to put Jesus to death. Now we have no evidence that Nick and Joe ever went to Jesus and said, It's a trap. They're trying to kill you. They've taken out an arrest warrant. The Pharisees now have turned one of Jesus' own disciples. You know that story from a few weeks ago. They paid Judas 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus with a villain's kiss in the Garden of Gethsemane. Nick and Joe know about it. They never intervene to stop Jesus' arrest. They commit, they, they, they assemble the Sanhedrin at night to try Jesus all night long before his crucifixion. Nick and Joe are part of it. They're there. They are, they are in the trial. They never speak up to condemn their peers. They never say, let this man alone. Not guilty, not guilty, not guilty. Leave him alone. He's the Son of God. We actually believe he is the Messiah. God sent him down here to tell us how to be saved, how to be forgiven, and how to have a right relationship with, with God. Nick and Joe never stop it. They're just letting it play out. But in a few minutes, it gets out of control because they send Jesus over to Pilate. Soldiers wake Pontius Pilate up and say, quickly, come down. There's a riot about to break out. They've pronounced the death sentence. They need the death penalty. They want to crucify someone. Only you can stop this. You've got to get dressed and get down there. Pilate goes down. He questions Jesus. But before Nick and Joe can stop what's happening and intervene as Supreme Court justices, finally Pilate is blackmailed. And Pilate says, I wash my hands, take him, and crucify him. The people begin to cheer now, crucify him, crucify him. Nick and Joe are aghast. They're like, how did this happen so quickly? Where is due process? Where is a a good trial? Where is his lawyers? This was a railroad job and it happened before we could stop it. And now it's too late. There he goes carrying his cross out the Damascus gate up to Calvary. We can't stop it now. What have we done? The Bible tells us there were people there 
Pharisees were there. John was there, Mary was there, and Pharisees were there. And most of these villains are mocking Jesus, the Scripture says. Nick and Joe are there. And as they nail Jesus to the cross and they raise the cross to an Easter morning spring sky, Nick and Joe remember the words, as Moses lifted the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Can you see Jesus lock eyes with those guys in the crowd as he hangs on the cross? Nick, Joe, this is your sign. And as they saw Jesus being raised on that cross, they remembered the scripture and they remembered the night meeting with Jesus. And they said, he called it. This is our sign. We always talk about the thief over here who was saved hanging on the cross. There were two villains saved standing right there. And when they saw Jesus hanging on the cross, they said, that's our sign. We believed. And Nick and Joe entered the kingdom of God the same way you and I enter the kingdom of God, by being born again. The new birth is what puts you into a relationship with God. Now, let me close it quickly. How did he get in a grave? Because once they believed on Jesus Christ, they would not be secret disciples any further. Now the Bible says they start getting bold. And by the way, when you really get born again, it affects your speech. It affects your behavior. Eventually it affects your boldness. And you can't live a secret life. Ultimately you have to come out. That's what we talked about last week and present yourself. Let me read quickly. John 19, 38, and after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission, so they took the body away. This is a very famous Caravaggio painting. These two guys are Nicodemus taking down the body of Jesus. You say, Why? listen, there's all kinds of European famous paintings of this scene. And you wonder why as you walk through the Louvre and places like that looking at religious art. I'll tell you why. Because you didn't take people off of a cross. It was illegal. That's why the Supreme Court Justice had to go to Pontius Pilate and get a signed document that says, I'm here, I've just been to Pilate's Hall, you soldiers stand down. We're taking the body off the cross. It was unheard of. And they lovingly took Jesus off the cross. Listen, the whole city knows they're believers now. Two Pharisees? Not John, not Peter, not Andrew, not James. Two villains? Two Pharisees? Gently taking the body of Jesus down off the cross and washing the body. Where are we going to bury this guy, Nick? I don't know, Joe, do you got any ideas? Well, just over the fence right there from Golgotha, I have a little plot, which is our, I was going to be our family plot. I bought that a few years ago. There's a tomb hewn for me. Nobody's ever laid there. But let me read it. Nicodemus also, who earlier came to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloe, about 75 pounds in weight. And they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with spices, as the burial custom is of the Jews. Now, in the place where he was, it's just right over the fence there. 
there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb where no one had been lain yet. Matthew tells us the tomb belonged to Joe, Joseph of Arimathea. Everyone knew where the Supreme Court had a family plot. It's right there. He's famous. Everyone knows it's a beautiful garden. They know one day he'll be laid to rest there. And that's how everybody in Jerusalem knew where Jesus was going to be buried. No one ever asks in the narrative, hey, where's the cemetery? They all knew where Jesus was buried because they all knew two Pharisees had flipped to be followers of Christ and one had put Jesus in his own tomb. They embalmed Jesus with their own hands and word travels to the Pharisees. Let me just quickly paraphrase. The Pharisees run down to Pilate now, the rest of the villains, and say, oh my goodness, two of our own guys have lost their mind. Pilate, we don't know what's going on. Listen, we need some soldiers to go watch the tomb. They never say where. They all know where. Send a squad of soldiers down there to secure the tomb. Pilate said, this thing's just totally bananas now. Here's my second writ. All right, you've got the body. Okay, you've got the soldiers. Who else wants something? I'm just signing documents like crazy. Who else needs something? And they go and take the Roman soldiers and make the tomb as secure as they can. But you know the story. You see, during the Feast of Passover and Unleavened Bread, there are high Sabbaths. And when one of the, those high Sabbaths hit, nobody could move about for three days. They said, we must get him in the tomb quickly. It's a high Sabbath. They got him in the tomb before sundown. And for three days, no one was allowed to travel. No one was allowed to work. You're kind of on lockdown in this old religious system. And it was just a, a family day at home. These days, you couldn't move about. And the first day you were allowed to move about was Sunday morning, Feast of First Fruits. So early on Sunday morning, even before the sun came up, Mary's the first one, Mary Magdalene, up and moving. And down she goes to the tomb. When she gets down to the tomb, they don't find a corpse. She doesn't find a stone in her way. She doesn't find Roman soldiers guarding a tomb. Because angels have already descended. The Roman soldiers have already fled. Christ has already risen from the tomb. The angels rolled the stone out of the way and said, check it out for yourself. We're here to let you be an eyewitness to this event. Mary's standing there now with her mind blown. And a voice behind her says, Mary... Mary, Mary turns on her heels, and Jesus says, it's me. It's me, Jesus. Mary, here's what I need you to do. You're going to be the first preacher in the New Testament. You're going to be the first person ever to preach the gospel of the resurrected Christ. Mary, go and tell the disciples that you have seen the risen Jesus Christ. You know the story. Peter and John come running in a few minutes to the tomb. No soldiers, no Jesus, he is risen as he said. How do you know for sure? I'll tell you how you know for sure. Because two Supreme Court justices embalmed him with their own hands, lovingly took him full of cross and put him in their own tomb, and it was sealed and guarded by Roman soldiers so you know nothing went wrong. And then one day angels rolled back the stone and said, voila, he's not here. <laughs> he is risen just as he said. Nick and Joe play a very important role in Easter. They're not villains after all. They're heroes in the end. I don't know what kind of life you've lived. And maybe you think I'm a bad guy. Maybe you think you're a good guy. I'm not sure what your opinion is of your own life that you've lived. But I want you to know it's not about badness or goodness. It's about belief on Jesus Christ. 
You want to go to heaven? You must be born again. You know how to be born again? Believe on Jesus and you will be born again. Have you ever done that? Because that is what it's all about on this Easter Sunday morning. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, we're going to give a prolonged time of response this morning, but just simple opportunity. If you've never received Christ as your Savior, there will never, ever be a better moment than right now. It's not about behavior. It's about belief. Are you ready to believe? Is belief rising in your heart? It's okay to have questions. Ask them. But is belief rising in your heart this morning? Are you willing this morning to call upon Jesus Christ and experience the new birth? If you're ready, I'd love to lead you in a simple declaration of your faith. Why don't you pray like this? Dear God, I confess to you that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And this morning, I know, Jesus, that you are God's Son. God's messenger sent from heaven to tell us how we can have a relationship with God. I believe you were crucified, buried, and rose again to be my Savior. And this morning, I'm going to ask you today to forgive me of my sins. Lord, all of them, past, present, future, and wash them under the blood of Christ and wash my slate clean before God. And I'm asking you to give me your righteousness. Credit your holiness to my account. Lord, I accept your forgiveness this morning. And Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit and set me on a path that I can turn from my old lifestyle and live for you. Lord, I do want to behave in a way that pleases you. But by faith, I receive you as my Savior today. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for rising with power from the grave. In Jesus' name we pray.